Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the California Council of the Blind 2021 Virtual Conference and Convention. Before we get started with our next panel, because we're still shuffling things around, I would call upon our Madam Treasurer, Ms. Lisa Presley-Thomas. Are you there to give a door prize? I am here. All right. Spin the wheel. <laughs> so uh, we're doing another $25 Amazon gift card donated by the Silicon Valley chapter. The winner of our door prize is Cache Wells. All right, Cache. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you, Madam Treasurer. You're very welcome. You have Roger, some great wheel spinning uh, talents there. Okay, <laughs> so let's not wait any longer. I've email this and we'll we'll move right along so this is going to be a great panel hopefully it will be complete but if we're not it's still going to be great and we're taking up a topic that i don't think i have ever actually seen us talk about at a convention in this specific way you know there's a sort of a long history of uh, some dissonance and tension, I suppose you'd say, between the uh, um, specialized services blindness advocacy movement and the independent living center movement. And it, it involves questions such as who provides better services to blind people and people who have low vision? Um, who started disability history? Some would say it started in the 1960s with Ed Roberts and the independent living center movement. And uh, many of us believe that it really started far, far earlier with the blindness advocacy movement, which set the stage for the independent living center movement. So, but there's lots of questions. Um, some of the fights involve money because there isn't a whole lot of money for blindness services and there's not even enough money for independent living center services, but there's certainly more. So these and other questions have really led to often, you know, sometimes collaboration and sometimes conflict. So to explore some of these issues, we have a great panel today. Um, our first is a longtime CCB member, longer than probably anybody here. Maybe, maybe there's a couple. Um, an activist in the civil rights movement. In fact, there's a, a rumor unsubstantiated that he cut his teeth at the Boston Tea Party, but I can't verify that. Our next presenter is going to be Larry Wanger, a longtime uh, activist in both ACB and uh, in the Independent Living Center movement, who is currently um, executive director of the Dale McIntosh Center down in Orange County that serves both Orange County and LA, and a center that has an incredibly long history of providing outstanding services to 
people who are blind or who have low vision. And then uh, hopefully, if we get a little lucky and technology works, uh, Peter Benavides, who's the executive director of Blindness Support Services down in Riverside County, uh, a very hardworking advocate and executive director for specialized services. Uh, then uh, back for her second straight appearance at a CCB virtual convention, um, a very uh, hardworking and thoughtful um, individual, Shalina Heber. We're really glad to have her back. And then um, a someone who I've just heard, I, I have not met her, but I've heard some amazing things, and I'm really intrigued to hear her, Susanna Gamez who's the executive director for Resources for Independence, Central Valley in Fresno. So with that, I'm going to start by Mr. History himself, Roger Peterson. Mr. History himself. Do you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Roger. Oh, that's good, I guess. Um, Well, um, for anyone who doesn't know me, which I don't, I don't know if there are very many people that don't know me. I'm Roger Peterson, and that's spelled with an S-E-N in Peterson, um, and uh, because it's Danish and not s- Swedish. Um, and uh, I've, I'm 79 years old, and I was born in Idaho. I was born blind born in Idaho and went through the kindergarten and the first six grades in a school, state school for the deaf and blind in Idaho. Uh, and then moved to Portland and went to public school and went to college and graduate school and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I, I remember sort of what blindness was like when okay, I started my uh, my term, my sentence, or whatever at the uh, State School for the Deaf and Blind in Gooding, Idaho, by the way. But in the blindness culture, there's this uh, quiz. You're supposed to be able to name the town that each of the state schools for the blind is in. So Gooding is the answer here. Um, uh, that was I had got to Gooding in 1947, or born in 1942. 42. Um, and it seems to me that at that time, um, the blindness community was quite largely the, the state schools for the blind. Now, I recognize that there are some that are state schools for the deaf and blind, and there are also a couple of schools that are not state schools, that are private, were private schools. But so Perkins, for example, is still still around and still does a lot of good things. But um, the state schools for the blind were a part of the logic that was that typified the blind movement in those days, which is that uh, blind people are not sick. They don't need medical attention. Uh, they're just people that had the the misfortune of not being able to see. And uh, 
it, it's, it is said that uh, one of the things that may have may have been part of the problem in some families between blind children and their parents is that uh, there were a lot of people who believed that your parents were responsible for your blindness because God visited upon visited it upon them for their sins. Uh, anyway, it was not it, it was not a a medical. They were not medical institutions. These agencies for the blind. They were educational institutions primarily, but they were. In, in large part, segregated. They were uh, they were run by mostly sighted people, although there were blind teachers of the blind, and they were, you know, they didn't they didn't impose themselves on the public. In fact, I uh, I used to hear people say that there was a deal that, that the uh, blind agencies for the blind had with the with the government or with the public at large, which was you give us your money and we'll keep the blind people out of your way. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, really the, the essence of what is a blind person was part of this. And it wasn't, they wouldn't say people with blindness. They said blind people and they were just a kind of people, like insane people or like um you know, other kinds of, I guess, criminals, you might say, and so forth. And though all those people tended to have places where they belonged, um, segregating them from society. Um, I might say that um, one sort of recent aspect of, of all that was, as you may know, one of the Congress members who... Um, sponsored the ADA in Congress was a California congressman named um, all right, Tony Quello. And Tony Quello had epilepsy, has epilepsy, I guess he still does. And um, he was he was really interested in being a Catholic priest, but he was told by the church that he could not study to be a Catholic priest because Everyone knows that epilepsy is caused by possession, by demons. Um, so, anyway, that's the, I contend that blind people are kind of a different. They're, they're seen differently by society than people who who now comprise most of the disabled community, and they were with you know the other the people who were the unfortunates in society who needed to be taken care of. Um, and, you know, that that all started quite early. Uh, Perkins, Perkins was opened in 1830, I believe. That's a long time ago. And the first special education federal law that I know of, anyway, was the law that provides financial assistance to the American Printing House for the Blind, which I believe was passed in 1859. So we're talking about we're talking about a long time ago here. We're talking we're talking about before 1960. 
Um, now, I, I, I'm sure that other folks can talk about how the, how the disabled community got started, but I think that by the time the 50s and 60s came, there was, first of all, there was the integration of blind people. The, the uh, you know, when, when I went, as I said, when I moved from Idaho to Oregon, I got to go to regular school, and I was very happy about that, but I didn't, I was no longer in the blindness community. I was kind of all by myself. <coughs> but during that time, uh, there started to get, there started to be uh, general disability uh, movements and organizations and so forth. One of them, I think, was quite important for a number of years was the an annual convention of the um, President's Committee for Employment of the Handicapped and later for the, for the employment of people with disabilities and so on. Um, it was important because all kinds of folks showed up for that convention. I used to go to it. I lived in Washington, D.C. And actually, I was on a subcommittee for a while of that. But lots of, uh, lots of organizations that were cross-disability were established in the sort of under the wing of the President's Committee. And then, of course, in 1975, there was what, what we now call IDEA. It was originally called Public Law 94-142, the Education of All Handicapped Children Act. And that was the most important part of that act. It was aimed at integrating disabled people, disabled kids, with the rest of society. But the, the important part of it was that it said that a public school district is in charge, is, is responsible for the education of all the children. In my day, if the School for the Blind in Gooding didn't want to take me, I could go home, and the local school district would have no interest whatsoever in, in my welfare. So that was kind of how the how the disabled folks got got integrated with each other as well as with the general society. And then we there'll be more talk later about how they interacted and so forth. And I I, don't, I, I heard someone say last night that uh, talk about how much animosity Ed Roberts had toward the blind community. I think maybe he had it, I think maybe it was toward the National Federation of the Blind in large part, but I could be wrong about that. I wasn't in California yet in those days. However, I knew Ed Roberts slightly, and I remember helping, I remember helping him once by replacing his breathing tube in his mouth. Uh, and I, uh, but, you know, I was viewed as a as a renegade, a blind person who hung out with those other disabled people. So, anyway, I, I don't want to keep on going here forever. Uh, I hope that is a is a beginning of uh, of uh, what we want to talk about. And I guess I would say that I think it all really comes down to um, there's a, a basic uh, tendency among people, among all people, I think to divide the world into us and them.
And I think how you view all these things depends very largely on who who your us is and who your them is. Uh, Jeff, you want to do something else now? You were all right. enough for me. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Appreciate the beginning. Uh, now let's go to Larry Wanger. Larry, you want to take it away? Yep. Can you hear me? We can. Great. It's always good when technology works. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you um, and to participate in this panel. Um, as, as Jeff said, I'm uh, currently the executive director at the Dale McIntosh Center down in Anaheim. And uh, DMC has been providing services for folks uh, with folks who have visual impairments probably for as long as we've existed. Um, but specifically, um, as a, for example, as a contractor with the state on the OIB Older Blind Individuals Who Are Blind program since about 1996 uh, in Orange County, and then we picked up LA County a few years ago. Um, I've had the pleasure and sometimes displeasure, I, I guess I should be honest, of working at a couple of different independent living centers as a blind person. Um, and it's been an interesting experience. And I have no problem saying and acknowledging that for the most part, most independent living centers fail miserably when it comes to serving folks with a couple of particular disabilities. And um, I would throw into that category uh, folks with sensory disabilities, um, people who are deaf or, or blind or low vision and, and some other disabilities, um, and also folks who have a mental health related um, disabilities. Um, better put, perhaps, that independent living centers um, traditionally seem to focus on serving indiv best individuals who have physical disabilities. Um, that is definitely not always the case in California, which is great. I've definitely seen differences, but I've also worked at centers in other states where I, um, for example, at one center where I was in a on a staff of almost 100 people, I was the only low vision person. Um, which is remarkable considering that as independent living centers, it, you know, the floor is that 51% of the staff be people who have a, have a disability. So in theory, there should be good diversity and variety there, if you will. So I, I certainly acknowledge that. Um, that is not the case at the Dale McIntosh Center. I'm, um, in fact, often comment to my uh, management team that it's completely the opposite experience. While we do provide services to folks uh, physical disabilities, no matter what disabilities they have. Um, we have a large contingent of folks who are deaf and folks who are blind who receive services from us. And that's kind of in our DNA. Um, the center was founded by folks who, among other disabilities, had sensory disabilities. Um, and that has stuck with us. And um, we're fiercely committed to... Um, being accessible in every way possible and providing services truly for people with all types of disabilities. And sometimes that, uh, you know, it's just broader workshops we do that and, and services and programs and initiatives to involve anyone with a disability, be it blindness or um, physical or deaf or whatever the case might be. Or sometimes that translates to very specific programs that uh, for example, we have a pretty significant deaf services program. We have a very significant, um, you know, 
blindness services program um, that we're hoping to try to expand even. Uh, so um, it's, it's different uh, where I'm at and that's a positive. Um, I think another significant piece of what we do that's part of our DNA and part of our philosophy is a commitment to a principle that, I mean, I learned that it came from the independent living philosophy, but if you, if you really truly step back, I think it goes back much further than that. Uh, and that alludes to uh, those of us with disabilities having a voice in our services and having a voice in um, everything that affects our lives. And that's the statement that says nothing about us without us. And whether those words were used or not, I know that that statement applies to blind services or whatever services way back before Ed Roberts and the independent living movement. Um, I think that whether we made that our mantra or not, that was our goal. Um, having control and a voice in the services and programs that are offered. So, um, but we're very uh, committed to that. Um, we, we, I think the best way you see that is that a very large percentage of the staff who work on our blind services program, uh, the staff that work the deaf services program, they are people who are blind or they are people who are deaf um, because who better to learn from um, than folks who've lived the experience and continue to learn. You know, we don't claim to be the experts, um, but we continue to learn and share that experience through a peer mentoring model uh, with individuals who um, need those services. Um, personally, um, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the history. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on us versus them um, but I see why that's an issue. Um, and I do think to a large extent, it's driven by dollars and, ten, dollars and cents. Um, there is not enough money for services, period. Some programs have more money than others, admittedly. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I tend to uh, feel that we're stronger together, that while there are needs for particular programs and services that wherever possible, we need to come together as people with disabilities. Um, because just, you know, if you're blind or use a wheelchair or deaf or whatever, you're, you're part of that community and we're stronger together and more effective when we can build those bridges and work together to achieve uh, our goals. And I know that sounds simplistic, but that's really how I approach things. Uh, and I've seen it work. Um, so unfortunately, traditionally, I think that always hasn't been the case. I sometimes think that um, because of this us versus them mentality, um, we're not as effective as we could be. And um, so, you know, at any rate, I'll leave it at that and uh, hand it off to the next person. This is Pete Benavides. I was able to chime in or check in. So good afternoon. Yeah. I, Thank I, you, I Peter. We're, we're, we are very sorry that it took so much technological, you know, finessing to get you done, but we're glad you're here. Um, and uh, I won't give you a reintroduction, but I, but I gave you one earlier. I'm going to uh, put you right on and uh, give us your thinking and your story, Peter. Well, well, thank you very much. And, and I just heard the tail end of the previous speaker, and there's several items that I agree with him. Um, 
quite frankly, I wish, and hopefully in the future, the size of the pie, meaning dollars and cents, uh, in the future will grow so that people with disabilities can truly and indeed receive the appropriate services so they could be a part of the American dream. Um, but I do want to speak a little about history because we could learn a lot from history. And I do reflect back to the passage of SB 105. That was a combined effort between employees of the Department of Rehabilitation here in California, private agencies, consumers, and others um, in which their collective effort resulted in SB 105, which ultimately the California legislature passed and Blindfield Services was created specifically to address the unique needs of individuals blind and visually impaired. And throughout the years, SB 105 has moved forward through the test of time. Um, specialization is important, however, by me saying that, by no means is it a poke in the eye to individuals in the independent living center movement who were very instrumental years ago in the passage of ADA. Um, yes, I do believe that collectively we can be stronger together. I feel the same way about our nation. We are red versus blue, black versus white, the haves and the haves more. Uh, when we think about specialization, um, we could reflect back to our lives in life. There's something wrong with my refrigerator, I would like to send it to a specialist versus the guy who's an expert on lawnmowers and vehicles. Um, <laughs> we, in the blind private agency sector, do indeed specialize. And in fact, over the years, I know the, the, the powers that be in, in California um, have recognized that and, and give priorities to the private agencies in California when, when serving the blind population. Um, it is unfortunate, and I agree with the previous uh, panelist, that we tend to fight and compete for dollars and cents. Quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with competition. I think competition triggers the need for all of us to get better and better at what we do. And I know that 
there's been some disputes. In fact, I was involved directly in, in, in some appeals uh, with the Title VII grant about four years ago um, versus a local independent living center. Uh, but here's what I truly believe as far as the capabilities of both the private agencies for the blind and the independent living centers. Because the independent living centers, the ILCs, is like a jack of all trades. They could serve mobility impaired individuals, deaf individuals, and others who have disabilities. And it's my understanding that they've done so for years. However, I do believe strongly that specialization is important. Um, as if when you look at Title VII, and, and, and those dollars are, 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 are very small uh, statewide, uh, but, but that is what it is. And hopefully more dollars will, will come to play. But, and I believe the, the department feels the same way. If there's a blind agency in a particular county that applies for and has a history and records of providing meaningful and measurable services to the blind population, then that particular organization should receive priority. However, if there's an independent living center in a particular county in which a blind organization does not exist for whatever reason, then by all means, if that organization is capable to provide meaningful and measurable services, then by all means, they should be granted dollars to serve those older individuals in that particular county. So I will stop right there at this point, and Jeff, uh, forward it back to you uh, for further discussion, and I will certainly uh, be able to participate as we move forward. Okay, thank you. So now we'll, I'll turn it over to, um, we get these two as sort of a pair, um, and so I'll ask Shalina and Susanna to decide who, who they want to talk first and uh, how they want to use their time. So, uh, ladies, uh, take it away. Thanks so much, Jeff. Um, and I want to go back and thank Leslie for the excellent stretch before this. It definitely helped me with mental clarity getting ready to talk to you all today. Um, Susie and I actually had a chance to touch base before this in the spirit of collaboration. So we kind of have a little bit of a plan going into how we'd like to speak to you today. And just really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. I'm Shalina. I'm with Valley Center for the Blind in Central California. And uh, with that, I'll have Susie take it over from here. Can everybody hear me? <clears throat> You're good, Susie. Okay. Great. I'm having unstable internet, so unfortunately, I don't. I'm not going to use my video. But um, so, thank you, Shalina, for that introduction. So, my name is Susanna Gamas, and um, I'm the executive director at Resources for Independence Central Valley here, um, RICV here in Fresno, California. And so, yeah, I think that you know many points um, that you know we were going to make, or I was going to make, as far as 
um, the independent living philosophy and, and the movement and, you know, what independent living centers are founded upon um, have, you know, really been touched on by Larry. So thank you for hitting all those great points, Larry. But I just wanted to, um, we were going to kind of talk about, you know, what, how have Shalina, um, BCB and RICB have come to the point of collaboration and how did that just kind of, um, and I think it's really um, this shared um, leadership between and the organizations of the, as far as like the importance of collaboration, right? And um, so just really keeping in mind, you know, what are the, some of the things that have been talked about are like, what are the gaps that are in our community? So, um, you know, in some counties or for some centers, maybe there isn't line services that are that are available. And so it's really important to take that um, and take note of that and know when there are services that we must, um, you know, take initiative and provide because, um, you know, our services, we're across a disability organization and our goal is to provide services to all people with disabilities. Um, and it's our um, goal also to be aware of what are those gaps in our community. And fortunately, you know, we have um, Valley Center for the Blind who covers, um, I believe, all of the counties that RSV covers here in the Central Valley. And so um, I have under two years um, here for RSV. One of the goals that um, that I had was to build more partnerships, right, and not create these silos. Do you Peter, please? Sorry. Sorry, I get distracted. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. And so to not um, create silos, um, you know, but really build upon um, what is provided in your community. And so some of the things, and really just to leverage off, like what are the things that um, our independent living center, what is it that we do well in our community and what is it that, um, you know, VCB does well. So um, for example, there's core services that we must provide for um, within independent living centers, um, which are things like peer support, youth transition, you know, um, independent living skills training, um, individual and systems advocacy and information and referral. And, you know, some of the things that we do really well is really just try to find those opportunities in the community to uh, make sure that people with disabilities have a voice and are at the table um, and not forgotten, right? And, you know, we're a cross-disability organization. So a lot of times, you know, we're trying to bring that diversity, make sure that, you know, our organization, um, as Larry mentioned, you know, if at least more than 51% of our um, of our staff must be persons with disabilities. So making sure that, you know, we're diverse and that we have people who have different disabilities or from different cultures um, that are on staff. And I think that's um, something that um, we do really well. And, um, you know, we must leverage um, upon that. And so I'm going to go ahead and um, Shalina is going to talk about um, Valley Center for the Blind and what they do well, and then we'll talk about um, some of the collaborations that we have had um, in our short time knowing each other. 
Thanks, Susie. We're having internet issues, so your video isn't working, and my neighbor's gardener is right outside my window here. So I apologize to everyone if it gets really noisy. Just let me know. Um, hopefully, they're almost done. I've been I've been get, saying a little prayer for that. Um, so Valley Center for the Blind, like I said, we serve Central California. Uh, we've been an organization that's around uh, since the '70s. Started out mostly as a social program for seniors. Um, our founder is a, a psychologist who's very passionate about giving seniors uh, social opportunities um, once they experience vision loss to get out of their homes. Um, so we have come a long way since then. We've had um, you know really terrific people along the history of our organization who have helped shape us. Um, and I would say a lot of our success we've had in growth in the last five years has been exactly what Susie was just talking about, um, taking a look at what are the gaps in the community, what are the things that your community um, wants, needs from you, you know, and I wrote down, um, Larry said, uh, nothing about us without us. And I think what Susie's saying, and uh, you know, I would just love to echo, is that we feel really strongly <clears throat> as an organization that um, the people we serve are the people who are giving us the input on what should we be doing. Really, for VCB, um, what we look at is serving people who are in Central California who are experiencing obstacles to their version of success. Um, as a result of their vision loss and want to improve their lives. So we try to, with each person that comes to us, um, we start off by meeting with them, talking to them, figuring out what is it that's your goal? Where are you going? And then we provide those specialized blindness services um, that we particularly well in our area and know how to provide um, to help them reach those goals. Uh, RACD does a lot of tremendous work and the work that they do isn't necessarily the work that we do. And one of the things that we do uniquely well, I think, is in our community needs assessment, um, we found that our clients, many of whom um, were really interested in becoming employed, no matter how well we taught them Excel or how many professional communications classes we gave, if we you know, did really fantastic email training or um, whatever the case may be to give them specific job skills, our clients were facing um, unacceptable issues becoming and finding employment. And we um, knew that that was an area of need in our community. And it's an area that our community said, hey, we'd love more help with this. Um, so we work a lot now in the employment space um, we've been able to hire over, I think for the last time I had, we were at um, 26 um, individuals with vision loss that we've been able to hire through strategic partnerships uh, in the last year. They are um, jobs that are open to any community members, but I am very lucky in that most of the people who have taken these jobs have been people who are incredibly qualified um, and, and, and have vision loss themselves. And um, you know, that's a space that as an independent living center, um, RICD and SUSE, they're not operating as much um, in that kind of job creation arena. And, um, you know, we've heard some really inspiring and tremendous stories about that work that we've been able to do and plan to keep doing for forever and hopefully better and better. Um, 
We're going to talk about a few collaborative things that, that we have that have been kind of specific examples, but I want to say in framing this conversation, you know, I think that um, one of the one of the great blessings of early on um, in, in me taking this role at Valley Center for the Blind was Susie. Uh, on several occasions, Susie reached out, um, and as the director of the Independent Living Center, she found creative ways to support our organization um, and to include us because um, the idea that um, people with blindness are part of a wider disability community, I wholeheartedly agree with. But we're also a special community inside of the larger disability community. Um, and Susan <clears throat> bringing us in um, to that wider disability community and giving us more opportunities to leverage the things that other service providers do well that I don't need to do well because they already do it well has been so wonderful to see that collaboration grow and grow. So I, more than anything, if you take away anything from what I say today, it's that, um, you know, the, the reaching out of Susie and the, the decision to be a collaborative partner is something, that's a decision that, you know, we had to make. We don't need to compete with one another. And while Pete, I agree, competition does, um, you know, spur greatness competition can create that opportunity for tremendous growth. Um, if we can be collaborative to everyone's benefit instead, um, for me at least, that's a much, much more mission aligned path for us. So um, one of the things that we have here on our list is talking about supporting what each other does uniquely well. Um, so Susie, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about your transition use services. Yeah, so some of the things that, you know, we do uniquely well is, you know, we do have, um, you know, various programs. It's one of our um, programs, Transition Services, is really been booming in our, and, you know, and that's actually headed by um, Sarah Harris here, who you all know very well, um, and has been, been doing a really great job. And, you know, as you all know, she is a person who is blind, and I think that, you know, one of our main, um, one of our core services is peer support, Right. And so when um, you think about, you know, organizations that provide um, specific services to, you know, people who are blind, people who are deaf, or even cultural, other cultures, like people who are Hmong, um, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they're trusted messengers, if, if um, anything. So people feel comfortable going somewhere. And I think that um, it's also important to have an opportunity where people of different disabilities, different backgrounds can come together and really share um, their experiences because um, yes, you can learn um, from each other when you have that um, similar disability, but you can also um, learn from each other as far as other experiences that um, that maybe have uh, have happened. But our transition services, you know, um, we have um, expanded our reach, especially since this whole COVID situation has come in. We've gone virtual. We've been able to access people from other counties and we do have um, you know a few youth who attend um, services who are um, blind or who have um, low vision and so that's a perfect example of the collaboration that we're trying to build and so that's why I say you know we're not trying to create silos we're trying to create um, partnerships and um, and really just let's pay attention to um, as I said before 
before the gaps that are um, that are apparent in our communities. But if there is not a gap, you know, I think it's, you know, there's value in working together and coming together because, you know, historically, um, you know, this whole independent living movement philosophy, it was based um, for, it was about all people with disabilities, right? Coming together and making sure that they had um, a place at the table, that they were included and that um, they were a part of a community where they were included. They were a part of the community and not just um, sidelined. And I think that we've had some, a lot of success with um, our youth and um, working with them um, when they, you know, when they're at a younger, but, you know, seeing this collaboration between the organizations and knowing that, you know, youth are um, accessing services at Valley Center for the Blind, but also seeing um, that value in, hey, you know, there's a service at independent living centers that, um, that can benefit the youth as well. So I think this is just a really good example of how collaboration um, can be very beneficial for both organizations. Because, I mean, if you really think about it, we, not any organization can do everything, right? This is our, um, another one of our core services, information and referral. It's our job to find other resources in the community and be able to, um, and that's another way of, of teaching our consumers about um, you know, being a part of the community, right? Not just um, thinking that independent living centers or just Valley Center for the Blind are like the only organizations that you can go and receive services. There are many services out in, in the community. Um, but I think that, you know, one of um, our goals at RICV is to continue to build those partnerships with um, different organizations and um, including um, uh, centers like um, Valley Center for the Blind um, I... Yeah, thanks, Susie. I, I just want to comment on that. Um, I'm just going to get real for a second. Don't get me wrong. I love, love our youth who are blind and low vision. They are um, awesome. I love getting to see them in our center. When we were in our center, we've got a couple of kids we work with through a charter school program that are um, very young. Um, and we've got quite a few folks who we work with who are in that, you know, transition age. Um, I love them, but motivating them, motivating teenagers to get out of bed, to come to a program on a Saturday is apparently not my specialty. So what I love is that, um, you know, Susie's programs do that, um, inclusion, you know, they, they bring these youth in and, and what, what Sarah does is uh, help give them tools and opportunities to collaborate, to meet other people who have different life experiences. And there's so much benefit in that. But when they need to learn um, really high level assistive technology for a person who's using a screen reader, that's usually when they come to us. Um, and uh, I'm not saying we would never do um, uh, transition age youth services we have tried before, but um, I am very grateful that we have a partner in our area who is good at that um, because I appreciate that they are better at that than me because um, I'm doing I'm doing other things. Um, so I think that's just such a great example of you can support what each other does uniquely well um, by creating enough space between the two organizations that um, I it's a conversation. 
you know, and if you can be open to that conversation, then you can do a whole lot more and do things much better because you're not trying to do it all yourself. Um, another thing Susie and I talked about was being considerate of appropriate funding opportunities. Um, I know this is so touchy, but one of the things when we were preparing for this that Susie had shared is that um, when she's looking at grants or funding or things like that, um, that she's looking at um, opportunities for cross-disability services. And that's what, what she's applying for and looking for. Um, and we talked about how when BCB goes to look for grants or funders or other program opportunities, we do not look for cross-disability opportunities. We look for opportunities where there is some specificity, where we can make it clear that we're only planning on serving our population of people who are blind and low vision. Um, and that really reduces that funding competition, I think, between the organizations, because I'm not necessarily concerned over what could happen um, if we lost a funding source um, to RICB. And, and I hope, Susie, you would feel the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. We, do, we do feel the same at, at RACB. Thank you. So we have time for a few questions. And so, Sheila, do we have any hands raised? We do, Jeff. Um, someone with, oh, let's see what the last three is. Um, it's not him. Okay, Sheila? <laughs> Sheila, you may unmute. Okay. Okay, I'm here, I think. Yes, you are. Okay. Um, I was one of just a handful of people that was against SB 105, and not because I had a problem with a blind commission as such, but I'm blind and I have multiple disabilities, and I've been in and around the independent living movement since 1997, and my problem is that I'm a multifaceted crystal and I'm not just blind. I have many other disabilities. And for example, when it comes to traveling, there are blindness issues, but there are other issues too, depending on what mode I'm using and in what conditions. And so I, it's very difficult for me to explain to someone who is only about blindness what these other issues are. And there are a lot of people in the CCB from what I gather anecdotally who have multiple disabilities and say that they are um, plagued more by their other disabilities than they are by their blindness. Cause most of them that I'm speaking to have been blind most of, if not all of their life. But for example, okay. Sheila, can you, can you get to your question so that we can, we want to have time my, for others too. My it's a comment. And my comment is that housing is something that everybody needs, but blind people need help filling out applications. And it's very difficult to get that help. And ILCs don't have enough staff to do that help. What my, I don't have a question, but my thought is that I think we need to expand and recognize multiplicity or yeah, multiplicity, not duality. I don't know. Um, where we're more than one thing 
and we can't just be sliced up like an orange into different sections. We are, we are one. We are, I am one being, not just blind, not just other disability, not just, you know, I need that okay. more in the CCP Thank than you. what we have. Right. Okay. Next hand. Libby, you may unmute. Libby. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, Sheila, I mean, Shana, Shalina and um, Susanna, maybe you could help in this regard. We used to have a bowling group uh, through, CC, uh, through VCB. And the bowling alley, they changed to it. They took out all of the bright lights and put in these terrible black lights. And it was awful. And uh, I tried to um, to confront them about it, and they didn't uh, actually. Ken at the time didn't want to fight it, and it's really sad because we used to have a really good time. We'd meet it like you know twice a month, and we go and bowl and stuff. But when they changed their hole and remodeled and everything, and went to the bowlerama, and it's so dark in there, I don't know how the sighted people can can do it. Um, is there any way that we could collaborate with both groups um, so that we can get a bowling group back started? I know that there's a facility in Lemoore, and I know that Fresno State has a bowling alley, but it's downstairs, and it just depends on, you know, when they're available, when they're not in class. Is there a way we could okay, collaborate to do that? Hey, Olivia. Uh, this is Shalina. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, I think that that was kind of a bummer. We got a little bit away from our social programs for a couple of years there and um, uh, got a little serious uh, with some of the programs that we were trying to really focus on developing. Um, so I, I hear you on that bowling alley issue. I'd love to see a bowling group restart as COVID subsides. We have reconnected with a lot of our um, social programs. We're just doing them virtually for right now, but um, we could certainly talk about that. Okay, your next you question go. is somebody with the last three, one, five, zero. You may unmute. Hello. Hello. Ah, okay. This is Mitch Pomerantz, and uh, hello, Peter, and hello, Larry. I'm about three months late returning your call. But I've, I've got a question that I think you, uh, you can answer. Um, in 2004 or five, I happened to be back in D.C., and it was at the time that the National Council for Independent Living released a paper that uh, unequivocal, unequivocally came out against categorical services. And um, I lost a friend over that, <laughs> a former... CCB member who was running an, an independent living center at the time, and we argued significantly over that, and, and we just sort of drifted apart afterwards. So, Larry, is, is that paper still uh, in play for NCIL? Have they ever retracted it? it? It might go a long way if they did for those of us who um, sometimes look askance at, uh, at the independent living movement. It might, it might help uh, turn us around a bit. 
Yeah, hi, Mitch. Uh, it's good to hear your voice and uh, no worries about the returning the call. Um, <laughs> um, it's good to connect again, though. Um, yes, sir. You know, quite honestly, I can't really answer that question. I'm aware, I vaguely remember this document um, from years ago. I mean, we're talking 17 years ago and maybe a little less than that. And I'm familiar with it. I know that that likely came out of Nickel has a rehab committee um, that, that they call it in short. I don't remember the actual name of it. And it may have come through that committee. Um, I've never seen anything regarding that being rescinded um, uh, or them having about face on it. Um, I certainly would be interested in looking into it, though, now that you, you've brought that up and uh, will do so. But, you know, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And, and, and I'm happy to look into that. I can't really answer your question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just I just think it is it is a significant wedge um, between uh, the independent living centers and 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 both blindness organizations, honestly, um, and and it really needs to go away. So, uh, and I will I will give you a call. I I, uh, I need to tell you about Dale McIntosh because I knew the lady. Oh, awesome! Great. All right. Very good. Well. Yes, Peter. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, and good to hear your voice. It's been a while, and uh, I thank uh, uh, Sarah and Jeff and Gabe and and whoever else put this panel on because uh, uh, there's some old uh, old friends and colleagues here. Uh, let me respond. Um, yes, sir. I I do recall the document you alluded to and. I've heard nothing about it being rescinded. However, certainly open to hearing uh, maybe a change of thought. Um, I want to first applaud uh, the ladies on the phone, on the panel, it, as they explained their collaborative efforts. Um, congratulations, ladies. Um, you were able to do that. Uh, I'm assuming that your, your, the geographic area that you serve is 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 unique to the two of you. And um, what I didn't hear um, was when funding does arise, uh, do you compete or do either of you back away and allow the other to apply solely? But, but nevertheless, um, we don't have that collaboration with a local ILC in Southern California. And let me say that your opportunities to collaborate with blind agencies are increased because there are more organizations serving the blind in Northern California than there are in some. So let me throw out a question. I have one. Um, and I want to give a shout out to a couple CCB members who uh, we may not know but who are with me on an advisory committee in this area. And that is David Wilder, who is in CAAVL and Jacqueline Jackson from San Diego. And um, the aging and disability resource uh, connection center movement is growing. Uh, the idea being that these would be established as um, centers with partnerships in a, in a county between 
the Area Agency on Aging and the ILC, and that there would be um, other partnerships that these entities would include, but the, but the basic partnership would between, be between these two entities in order to get this money. And this is a federal program. It's small now, but it's growing and growing, and more counties are doing it in California. What worries me is that the independent living centers will use this as an excuse to even try to take more of the little bit of OIB money and whatever else we can scrounge out for um, specialized services for people who are blind or visually impaired under the guise of, you know, the, the, aid, the Aging and Disability Resource Center movement. Can somebody respond to that? Hi, Jeff. I'd love to, if that's okay. This is Larry. Yeah, um, go right ahead. We are um, one of the two core partners for the ADRC in Orange County. I just want to say that um, while the ADRCs are a federal program, um, <laughs> there really weren't many resources directed toward that initially. And where this is growing is because the state has invested um, and so I want to be clear that um, what you're seeing happening across the state and centers moving into this in partnership with their local AAA or Office on Aging with the county um, is mostly supported, in fact, almost entirely supported by state funds. Um, and I forget the bill that passed in 2018 that started to move that forward. Um, in our case, um, the, you know, I'll just kind of acknowledge that for our perspective, the OIB funds are completely separate in that, you know, we don't intermingle those dollars. Um, however, I do think where I'm concerned and where I'm always thinking and trying to move us is that um, we need to address the needs of seniors, the aging community who happen to be blind. If that's us directly, uh, as the OIB contractor and facilitating those services, um, or if it's bringing in other partners to do it. I, I see a positive in this, um, in that we're able to bring these two pieces together. We're able to, um, through our ADRC connection, not just with the Office on Aging in Orange County, but with this extended network of partners that we have, we, we're able to you know, reach people who we weren't reaching before. Outreach has been so difficult. And um, so I see it as a positive. I hear your concern um, and, and certainly I'm aware of that, but I'm not seeing that happening at this point. Okay, thank you. Okay, how much more time do we have, Jeff? Um, I well, would say I that you guys, you, well, you guys can Yeah, that's a Sarah the, question. Yeah, okay. you, yeah, you guys can take about, oh, it's to 4.20. Okay. Okay. Um, 3.80, last three. You may unmute. Yes, uh, this is Ralph Black. I just had a comment. Uh, first of all, well, two things. Uh, first of all, I uh, show my age, but I'll say that I uh, worked for a number of years uh, with Ed Roberts at the time that he was uh, rehab director on various issues. And I always found him to be uh, very supportive of people.
people who are blind and, um, you know, providing appropriate services and working, um, you know, on those issues. So I don't think there was any um, hatred on his part of blind people. Um, he certainly was committed to the independent living movement and wanted to see that be the mechanism by which um, people got served. But um, the other thing I would say is that uh, I also worked at the uh, Independent Living Center here in Sacramento for several years uh, back in the 1980s, and I don't know exactly what they're doing nowadays, but at that time we tried to make a point of being sure that we uh, provided services for people who are blind or visually impaired, and when we couldn't do that, referred them to uh, an appropriate place. And I think the model that we heard about from the panelists really makes sense to have a good, strong connection between the Independent Living Center and uh, specialized programs that serve blind people. And, uh, you know, I think the, what we've heard about from the Independent Living Centers that are doing a good job of uh, serving people who are blind suggests to me that a lot of it is a issue about having uh, staff there who have that commitment and are knowledgeable enough to provide those services. And it would seem to me that um, it might be appropriate to uh, try to work out some arrangement whereby independent living centers would either have a person who was specialized in serving people who are blind and visually impaired on their staff, or if they uh, can't do that or don't choose to do that, uh, they should have a established working relationship with a blindness agency in their region so that they can easily make referrals when people do come to them and that those programs can uh, exchange information and resources. Okay. Thank you, Rob. Do we have time for one more? Okay, Keith, you may unmute. Keith, you can unmute. Yes, okay. Uh, my name is Keith Kabbalah. Uh, I like the, I like the, I also have multiple conditions. Uh, now I do have one question. Are the independent living centers, are they independently owned and operated and funded or are they all working in collabor collaboration with each other? I'm just curious. I, uh, Susie, do you want to do that or do you want me to? other questions. I think you're good, Larry. Susie is okay. still on the affair. Gotcha. I'll jump on it real quick here. So all the independent living centers, there's 28 centers across the state. We're definitely uh, independently operated, if you will. We're each are independently our own 501c3 nonprofit organizations. However, um, as you may know, um, we work collaboratively and uh, some respect have uh, some. Well, we're very connected to the State Independent Living Council, and then um, there is a state association called the California Foundation for Independent Living Centers, and 22 or 23 of the centers are members of that organization. Okay, we collaborate through that and through other means for sure. Okay, uh, what I would actually like to see more of uh, is when it comes to cross disability, blind, visually impaired, multiple, and without disabilities. I like to. Would be nice if we actually could have somebody on at the center, at the centers who specializes in in this area. 
and like working with multiple blindness and multiple disabilities. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be a a, a good uh, consideration. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Larry, this is uh, Ms. Shalina Keith. If I can speak to that briefly, one of the things that we've seen is that there are some areas where there are not blindness service providers, um, and there are independent living centers. And in those situations, um, you know, full support for independent living centers to have really strong programs for people with vision loss. Um, at VCB, we do serve people um, who have multiple disabilities but we're only speaking to really that blindness component. Um, Whereas for other services, you know, our our close partner, RICV, um, would be the more appropriate service provider. So I think that's where we're talking about. There's room for all. And if you have a leadership model where from the top down, there's a clear focus on the benefits of partnering and how you strategically partner for the best interest of the person you're serving, uh, that's where we all can kind of be collaborative. Okay. I just, you. this is Susie. I apologize. I couldn't get up to the, to the, I had to walk away, but um, I wanted to add to that in that, you know, we are across um, independent living centers are across disability organization. It's, and it's important to um, make sure that we are, you know, providing that accessibility, providing um, staff that ha- does have expertise in um, certain areas. And so, um, we want to make sure that, you know, obviously when we're providing services to people of many different disabilities and also people who have, um, who maybe individually have um, different disabilities that we are prepared for that. And if, you know, I've been uh, mentioning about, you know, if there's gaps in just the services that we provide that we are aware of that and that we can address that by collaborating with other organizations. But we are very mindful of making sure that we have accessibility needs and um, keeping in mind that our staff must be, um, you know, as diverse as possible, right? So thank you for your question. Well, I want to thank both of those of you that ask questions and most especially those of uh, my great panelists. It's been a pleasure to have had all of you on today. I hope that The audience has enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, This is the type of topic that is interesting and thought provoking. And it's something that, you know, it, you know, the more we talk about it, I think the better off we are. So uh, thank you again for Sarah to Sarah for uh, having, uh, you know, working with me to get this together and I'll turn it back over to you. Ah, thank you. And and thank you so much to everyone. You know, it's not very often that you see a panel that has your current boss, your former boss, and somebody you used to work hand in hand with uh, volunteering. Um, so very, very cool. So thank you to all of you. And, um, and I think that this is hopefully going to spark, you know, growing conversation of how, you know, we can all better collaborate and moving forward. Um, So, wow, we're getting to the end of our session here, and I wanted to go ahead and hear from our Silver Level sponsor, Vanda Pharmaceuticals. Media controls. Movies and TV, the video thumbnails are minimized to optimize full screen. Media servers tab. Removal storage, media, print all videos. Vanda Navigation for main app, videos, list box, all videos. Lighthouse storage, Vanda Pharmaceuticals. Pop-up, Vanda Pharmaceuticals storage, play button, pause button. Hello, California Council of the Blind. My name is Shauna Jatho. I'm a clinical nurse educator with Vanda. 
What my role is, is to increase awareness on a very rare condition that affects mainly individuals who are totally blind, but also those who are visually impaired with limited light perception. And that condition is called non-24. The three main symptoms are difficulty falling asleep at night, difficulty maintaining a full night's sleep, and or difficulty staying awake during the day. If you'd like to learn more, please reach out to me personally, 202-538-0396. And also if you'd like to have me a part of your local chapter to have a presentation on non-24. Thank you, enjoy the convention. Gotta love the music, right guys? All right, so I just want to remind everybody of what's coming up. So right now at 4.30, um, we're going to be joined by Larry Gasman, who is going to lead up, head up, and host our next sponsor and exhibitor session, and that will have some live Q&A with Humanware as well with Energy Upgrade California and a couple other panelists there, including our very own um, community outreach person, James. Um, we then roll into a couple of announcements, and later on this evening, of course, we'll have a message from our president as well as elections and lots more other stuff. And so I wanted to see, Larry, do we need to do some shift to Rooney here in a couple of minutes? And not, how not, until not until 5.30. Not until 5.30? So I'll, I'll keep there? looking at the clock and yeah, I can, I want, when he comes, he's not even here yet. So Okay, cool. I wanted to, wanted to make sure... And so I just wanted to thank everybody. This has been a really, really great session. And then Gabe, do you have any announcements or anything for us? He ran away. All right, hearing none from Gabe. <laughs> you know what, Larry, um, should we take a minute here to thank our, our convention committee before we roll into our, our sponsor exhibitor thing here? As long as you do a door prize, yes. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. So I, I want to thank our convention planning committee. Um, this year, obviously, we've taken on a very ambitious, as I've heard it described, convention. Um, and we have some really great folks on our team. We have Jeff Tom. We have Jean Lozano, who are both past convention planning committee chairs. We have Alice Turner, Rob Turner, Phil Overgon, Lisa Presley Thomas, Larry Gassman, John Glass, Guillermo Robles. I'm not going to mess this up. Who else do we have, Larry? Help me out. Don't forget about Judy. And Judy Wilkinson. <laughs> Did you get Rob? I'm like, I'm and I got Rob. I got okay, Rob good. with Alice. They, they, okay. They're a matching good, good. set. Yep. They're a matching set. And I think, I think I grabbed everybody there. But we have really, you know, put together some fantastic teams in order to, you know, make this all happen. And, you know, just lots and lots of big shout outs to all of you guys. And, you know, we're all behind the scenes doing a lot of magical stuff. Um, so, 
I just really want to thank everybody there. And uh, Madam Treasurer, can we do a door prize before we uh, hand things over to Larry? Alice has her hand up as well. Oh, well, you're doing that. This is Gabe. Did I hear you using my name in vain? No. No more than usual. Okay. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Sorry, I, I, I received a call from a doctor that I had to answer. So just as I hung up, I heard my name. Oh, no worries. No worries. I was just seeing if you had any announcements. And well, let's hear from Alice. Yeah, um, mine is, is just an observation. Um, I know Larry and Rob, Phil, um, all the folks and the participants that were a part of all of the different videos. Um, what, uh, you know, not only the videos, you know, that we made, but the videos that came in, um, you know, when you think about um, what will happen for having these videos within our stock, I guess, shelf, uh, YouTube, whatever, how many different ways, um, you know, can we slice and dice? I, I, I was thinking about Christy's comments on the panel. Um, you know, there's just a million gems in there. So, um, you know, this not only is going to help in um, how it is that this conference is going, but think about all of the video clips. Um, you know, the world is about videos now. So all the video clips that are going to, and audio clips, that will be um, a part of our future. So I, I just got really jazzed last night listening to it. So that's just my comment. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Alice. You know, and I always go with, you know, go big or go home. And we're already all at home, so we have to go big, right? Um, <laughs> you know, that's the way to do it for sure. And do we have Madam Treasurer here? I'm here. All right. Do it to it. So let's go ahead and give away um, a donation from Active Blind Inland Valley Chapter. It is a... Raisin, and I probably said that wrong, R-E-I-Z-E-N, tell time, talking watch, with alarm, and $20 cash. And the winner is John Vandervoort. All right, John. Congratulations. Silicon Valley Council of the Blind members. Terrific. Yes. Oh, awesome. We're getting a good, it's spreading out across the state. That's really fantastic. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and hand things over to Larry. So, Larry, you go ahead and take the stage, and I'm going to kick back for a minute. And as she's doing that, I'm going to thank Sheila for hosting for us this afternoon. And I guess you'll have me for the next hour and a half till Diane joins us. Oh, you are very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, thank Sheila. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sheila. Have a, Good have luck a next great week. Yeah. Thank you so much.